You're listening to the Elephant in the Room Property Podcast, where the big things that never get talked about actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, and co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia. And I'm Chris Bates, financial planner, mortgage broker, and wealth coach. And together, we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy a property. Veronica will introduce our guest in a moment, and I can tell you, you want to listen on to hear what one of Sydney's top agents has to say about the whole real estate process. You know, where agents can go wrong with helping buyers, you know, the problems with commissions and agents over-promising listing. It's one episode where we go into the conflicts that some agents have when giving advice. It's, it's embarrassing for them, but it's great for us because quite often what will happen is there'll be a real buyer in the room <laughs> and and the real buyer won't recognise the, the alpha male puffing his chest up and what have you, so... Um, They'll come up to and say, oh, listen, uh, you know, I think that guy's going to make an offer, isn't he? And you say, well, well that's what he said. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so quite often, you know, he'll create some urgency around, around, around the sale with some real buyers, but it's just uh, it's just being a peacock. Please stick around for this week's Elephant Rider Boot Camp. And we have a cracking Dumbo of the Week coming up. Before we get started... Everything we talk about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now let's get cracking. In this episode, we pick the brains of Peter Gordon, who has been one of the Balmain area's most active sales agents for the past 10 or so years and ranked in the top 100 agents nationally for the last four years. Peter's been with Cobden and Hayson since it launched in 2005 and originally started his career in the middle of a boom in 2001. So he's experienced both hot and cold market conditions over the years. In this interview, we'd love to get some on-the-ground intel into what's happening in blue-chip Sydney suburbs the moment, as well as discussing a bit of a bugbear of mine, why sales agents are increasingly offering to advise buyers on other agents' listings. Now, thanks for joining us, Peter, and for being brave enough to tackle this elephant. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? Yeah, look, guys, I'm, I'm going great. Thank you. And thanks very much for inviting me uh, to, to be part of your show. And uh, I've listened to, to, to plenty of episodes. It's really great stuff. And uh, yeah. Oh, thanks, Peter. No, it's, uh, we, we're glad you're here. I guess... Um, we, we are noticing it a bit, right? So our real estate agents are starting to help buyers more and more, you know, uh, you know, because there's only so many buyers on the ground and, you know, they've got properties they want to sell. And sometimes when the buyer's thinking, oh, actually, I don't mind that one on Smith Street, um, what do you think about that? And how does, how does a real estate agent play, you know, their role there, I guess, to be a trusted advisor, but also maybe step over the mark a little bit? Yeah, look, it's definitely something that we've seen um, as a trend in the last five years or so in our area. I work in the inner west of Sydney in Balmain. It's very much a blue chip area. Our average sale price is close to $2 million. So it's a um, it's an area that um, that traditionally has been very competitive. Uh, it's also an area where there's a lot of agents and there's a lot of really hungry agents that are out there trying to compete for business. There's only a very finite amount of business, obviously. And, you know, when I started 10 years ago, the Cobden and Hayson phone would ring, you know, to go through to reception. Hey, there's someone who wants to talk about selling a house, you know, but the uh, directors are delegated to a sales agent. They go out and talk to them. That just doesn't happen anymore. So it's all about the agents now heading off the lead really early in the piece. So generally, um, you know, you need, to, you need to find the potential sellers. And a lot of that happens through buyer work, right? So if we're meeting buyers that are out there at open homes, you know, chances are that there's someone who's got a property to sell and then it becomes a way of trying to make sure that you're on their list of agents that they'll, that they'll talk to when they go to sell their own property. So mm. 
um, you know, and a big part of that is then become, you know, kind of trying to ingratiate yourself with, with a client and offer services above and beyond or before they need the selling agent service. But are you as a, as an agent really, are you kind of act cause you're there as a selling agent, but then, you know, buyers are coming through the doors, you're kind of helping them with their decisions. Um, are you now kind of stepping into kind of buyer's agent land a little bit, kind of helping them guide them to a better decision, even if they don't want to buy one of your properties, would they want to buy one of your competitors? Yeah, look, I think there's, there really is a fine line. And I think as agents, we need to be very careful. Um, obviously, we're perceived to be experts uh, by the general public. Mm. Um, as selling agents, our, our expertise really is in selling, though, uh, and it's not it's not in helping people buy properties. We can obviously have an informed decision about you know the good you know the the, the pros and cons of a property, but when you start to advise people strategically on how to go about buying a property. Or potentially bidding or making, you know, getting yourselves involved in the offer process on behalf of a buyer. And I think that's a really rocky road. And I think the skill set between a selling agent and a buying agent are very different. They probably should be kept that way. Yeah. I mean, there's one argument that if you're in a negotiation and you're using all your tactics to negotiate on how to push the price up, you should be able to reverse engineer that and reuse those tactics to bring the price down. But I don't believe it works that way, does it? No, that's that's right. And I think you know Veronica's always <laughs> has always said you know that they they look at things critically, whereas we, we look at things um, you know in a, in a different light. You know, we're mm. always looking for the good, and we're always out there trying to add value and increase the value of a property. Whereas a buyer's agent will look at a property much more critically and analytically, mm. and um, you know provide you know a different point to a prospective buyer. And do you think that every as an agent, do you think every property is a good property, or do you think that? You know, when you sometimes get a listing where it's not a good property that you don't want to take it on or? Oh, look, I think, no, I, I love the challenge of selling a property that's not a great property. Mm. Um, you know, every property is a good property at a price. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but, um, uh, you know, and in a booming market, anyone, you know, any property will sell. But, you know, in yeah. the current market, what we're seeing is your A-grade properties are still selling really well, but it's the B and C-grade properties that are really struggling. And they're the ones that need a you know a professional selling agent to really be on their game and um, mm. to engage with the buyers and to get, get deals across the line. That is, that's a theme that we hear, and I've seen it myself, obviously, out there, but we've heard that, that exact same thing from other agents uh, that we've been talking to. And I've seen it out there. You know, you can go to an auction of an A-grade property now and you can still see nine. I've seen up to nine people register in the current market, you know, and then you go to another auction that's got nothing. Now, what sort of things do buyers get picky on now that they are not, well, they're prepared to overlook in a hot market? Uh, look, I, th- I think it's, you know, the the old adage of location, location, location. Um, you can have the best house in the world, but if it's on a, on a B-grade street, buyers will still, they'll, they'll pass on it. Um, you know, things like parking uh, in our area, probably eight out of 10 houses don't have car parking. And, um, you know, in a really hot market, buyers will talk themselves out of the fact that they, they need parking, but in a, in a, you know, in a, market that's probably more balanced, I'll say, no, well, you know, we'll hold out for the property that does need the parking space or yeah. if there might be five properties on the market, one of them's got parking and four of them don't, then then they'll all pin their ears back and have a crack at the, the mm. one with the car parking. So street parking, what's some other things that you find that buyers are really kind of getting attracted to that, you know, before they're like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter, I can look overlook that? I, I think there's... In, in a really strong market, buyers will see properties that need renovation as an opportunity to add value. Yep. Uh, in a market that's going the other way, that they're, they're really cost conscious and, and are nervous about having to then go and spend more money on properties after the purchase price. So, yep. uh, 
yeah, the properties that are really well renovated to a really high standard with really yep. neutral, you know, finishes that are done properly are still selling really well. But properties that are, um, you know, perhaps just dated throughout and what have you that need renovations, they'll they'll probably punish those a bit more. And what have you seen like around north facing or south facing or, you know, near the busier roads? Are you finding those are not, you know, getting as, as attractive now for buyers? And they're kind of saying, well, it's not not presenting, you know, maybe I should hold out. Maybe I should look, wait for that something that comes up that's north facing. Is that something that you're seeing as well? Yeah, I think it's in today's markets, it's very easy for a buyer to say no. Yeah. You know, that, that's what that's what we're seeing. They can talk themselves out of a property really quickly. So if it, if it doesn't tick all the boxes, then, you know, and part of that might be aspect and part of it might be location or what have you. But yeah, it's, it's, it's really easy for a buyer that will have some interest. They might come and visit a property two or three times. But whereas if the market's rising, then they'll have that fear of missing out, and they'll be they'll be pushing themselves to get in at the moment. Yeah, they're almost looking for a reason not to go ahead. I think why it's why this is really interesting though is because there's only so many buyers, and there's only so many houses, right? And so, what basically the buyers are doing is saying, well, I'm actually just going to go all the way to the best property I can possibly buy, which is the absolute best quality property. And so, what it's actually doing is it's starting to suck buyers you know, from the outer suburbs to closer suburbs to better properties. And, mm. you know, and so what ends up happening is that, you know, there's a hundred buyers, but then they're all like so just going for those top properties and everything that's not, well, they're not even getting a look in. And, um, you know, I've got a client at the moment, you know, exact same thing. Um, you know, he can basically pick the eye out of the market. We're picking down to streets, um, sides of the road that he wants to be on. Um, and it's got actually a chance and there's actually good quality properties that, you know, potentially no chance he would have got, you know, a few years ago. And that's interesting because Peter mentioned something earlier about Balmain and obviously it's a market I know very, very well. And, and in that area, is it, it's a finite um, geographically and stock levels in not just in that area, but in most areas in which we buy. So we buy within, say, 10 to 15K radius of CBD in Sydney and, and stock levels in most of those suburbs has drastically reduced really since 2016. You know, I think 2016 was about 30% down on the previous year on averages um, the previous year, over the previous years. And that hasn't changed in recent years. So the pie has got smaller in terms of the amount of property being sold. And so then back to what you were saying about lots of agents and they're all fighting over smaller slices of a smaller pie. Um, and then buyers may, uh, you know, buyers have got more choice because there's less of them around. So there's still less stock, but per, per buyer there's more stock. But the quality of stock varies, doesn't it? So you might get A-grade properties, but you still, I think, I, what I see, I, I always see a, a limitation in terms of what A-grade properties are out there available to be bought. Would you say that was fair? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think- And even more so now? Yeah, and I think people, if if there's something about a property that's not A-grade, then people don't tend to stay there for as long as well. So if you've got an A-grade property, people are generally happy to live there and they'll stay there for longer and they'll be less inclined to sell, particularly oh, yeah, if, if, yeah. if, if the market's not, not as strong. Yeah, that's Whereas, a good point. Um, yeah. yeah, why would you upgrade, right? You know, that's right. Because you're yeah. already in, you're you already a great in a house. perfect yeah. house. Um, and even if there is a bit of a downturn, and the price and the price isn't going to be as good as it was, you're even less incentive to sell. You sit on it, yeah. yeah. And so this is the real thing that that protects the inner rings and quality properties. Because if there is any downturn in prices, a people don't really want to move anyway because they're happy, and then b they don't mm. want to take a price that's not great. And so you don't get this real supply rushing to the market and then there's always a buyer for the good property and, you know, so they'll hold their value a lot better than, you know, things that, you know, people will very quickly to sell. So back to when you've got other sales agents 
or and yourself, of course, you've you've got to provide. Um, and I can't remember the word the word ingratiate yourself. Mm. You got to ingratiate yourself with potential listers over an over an extended period of time while they're out there looking and testing the waters and all the rest of it. Have you found? I guess you got some stories for us around where other competitive agents have actually been representing buyers on your listings. Yeah, look, they're, they're, we've certainly sold sold a number of properties that have I've had other agents from other competing offices bid at auctions. Um, mm. You know, and that's worked really well for us because you, you, <laughs> right. you know that course, that, that yeah. agent's highly motivated to to push their buyer, their client that they're representing to buy because as soon as they buy, then they'll be selling their house, mm. and that's the only fee that they'll be paid. They're not they're not obtaining a fee for the buying service. So, uh, yeah, look, we're seeing we're seeing that quite a lot. And we're seeing, you know, occasionally you'll just see a really big price that'll that'll go through, and it's like, wow, I wonder what happened with that particular sale. And then you find out that that there was another agent involved. He'd introduced the the buyer through a different agent, and you ended up paying well over the odds to secure a property. Sometimes off market, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you think, well, what what happened there? And then sure enough, the the ripple effect is another property will pop up, and it'll be the person who bought that property is selling with the person who helped them buy. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting, right? Like it's um. I like that little line there, though, is when you do see a big price or you do see something, there's actually a story behind it. There's always and, a story. And yeah. you need to find out what that story is because that wasn't maybe a rational decision. You mm. know, there was maybe a reason why it was inflated for some reason. And, you know, that can, you know, maybe think, well, yeah, it sold for 2.6, but, you know, the X, Y, and Z happened and maybe it should have only sold for 2.4. And otherwise, some people would look at it and go, well, it must be worth 2.6 because someone paid it. But, you know, maybe it isn't. And it comes back to that idea, like you say, that people perceive it's isn't it odd, right? So buyers, people generally perceive real estate agents to be experts, and they are to a degree, but they are experts in selling, and they're also experts in their geographical area. They're not experts in investment, they're not experts in the selling or the buying process, but they are experts, obviously, in the sales process. Um, they're also not experts in what the market cycle is going to do necessarily. Like they they know what happens. You know, I was talking to an agent the other day and he was saying that um, there a bit of a sob story about a client that bought a property in 2016, I'm guessing paid overs, um, and now they want to sell and they're looking at roughly a 10% fall in terms of the purchase price, sale price versus the purchase price. And and he's saying, oh, you know, the market's tanking. It's going to be worse next year. It's awful. It's awful. And I'm like, what are you basing that on? And it comes back to the recency bias, you know. Well, most recently it's been awful and so therefore it's going to continue to be awful. 18 months ago, most recently it was great, so it's going to be continue to be great. You know, so the conversations that we're having with people and I think that, you know, people have to understand when they're going and getting advice from the agent, it has to be limited to what the agent's level of expertise is. You know, do you want to sell right now? You know, what are you thinking in terms of timing and all that sort of stuff? At the end of the day, Peter, you've got to list it, don't you? I mean, you're not going to be able to say to them, oh, yeah, wait till next year because, you know, the market's going to be doing this or that. The reality is no one knows. No, that's right. And I think that's, um, yeah, look, obviously, you know, we're out to, to list, list and sell property. I mean, that's what we're doing. That's what feeds our kids. So, um, you know, that's really important. Mm. But at the same time, you know, reputation's really a big thing as well. So if, if and, I've, and I've talked to quite a number of people out of selling in the last six months or so. And generally my advice is that if, you know, if, if you feel like you're going to need to be selling the next couple of years, then do it now mm. because chances are the market's going to continue, you know, could potentially deteriorate a little bit. But if you've got a good quality property, an A-grade property, it's not a great market to be selling in. And if, you know, you're, you're comfortable holding for five, five years plus, then, 
you know, pro- probably wouldn't recommend going to market, you know, particularly now as we're getting, coming into Christmas where the buyers are distracted, there's very little motivation in the market. It's not a great time to put your house to market unless you've yep. got a compelling reason to. Mm. So we're talking people out of selling as well as selling. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because some people like, you know, when they think about property, they go, oh, why would you sell? You know, it's not a great time to sell, but people's lives change, right? They, you know, their kids grow up, they want to move cities, you know, and sometimes they need that money to do a renovation or whatever it is. And, you know, they can't wait that five years. And so in that scenario there, those clients that have maybe got a good property and that will bounce back and will do well in five years time, but they just can't afford to wait that long. Yeah. And life, so, life goes on and people like exactly that. I've got clients that are, that are moving into state that, that are, you know, selling out of the Sydney market and buying in the Brisbane market at the moment, things like that, that, um, you know, they've got kids starting schools. They've got, yeah, we see a lot of family um, breakups as well. So like, yep. there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot happening behind the, behind the market. That's, mm. um, that's the reason the properties are being sold. And at the end of the day, sometimes you have to sell, you have to make the best you can in the market. I and, think yeah. a compelling reason is, is important to have that conversation about what is your compelling reason. If it's purely fear, i.e., oh, yeah. it's going to be worth less next year, well, so what? You still got to live in it. And if you bought an investment, then you, you need to be confident you bought a, quality investment and then just write it out because that's that's the whole thing with the property market. It is for long term when you're buying an investment. But if you bought a poor quality asset, then, you know, that's a different conversation to have. Or, or if you are bursting at the seams and it's time to upgrade, well, actually it could work in your favour. Or if, But if it's purely for fear, then, you know, and this is a thing that I think that a lot of agents are generating and they're building on that fear factor. It's like, oh, you got to do it now, you've got to do it now. It's all going to fall off a cliff next year. We've seen we've seen that just in, in the last few weeks, actually. We've seen a number of properties that have been brought on, like accelerated and brought onto market really quickly, um, perhaps haven't been prepared as well as they should have. Yep. And they're going to market before Christmas, which is usually a terrible time to sell. Uh, and, it, and it is purely because... The agents that are going in there are taking a really short-term view and they're saying, no, the market's going to be mm. worse next year. We've got elections. We've got this. We've got that. There's all these different reasons that you can put in people's minds. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they're getting them to market with really aggressive price guides and, and um, they're selling them, but they're not getting great prices. Yeah, no. that's really interesting. Mm. It's not really a sustainable kind of business model, is it really? You know, just playing on fear and just, you know, and and then how do you got to keep kind of changing your tune? And you always got to keep second-guessing the market and, you know, and then you would be saying – when the market's going up, do you say to people, well, don't sell now, sell in a year's time because the market's going to be better. <laughs> you know, like you kind of, you, it works one side. Then on the other side, you can't be going the opposite. Um, yeah, I mean, I find it really interesting. I'd love to get your thoughts just on a current client um, who's buying. Um, they did try to, I did refer them to buyer's agents. They decided not, which is sometimes the case with first-time buyers. They um, don't want to commit to a buyer's agent fee, even though they should. Um, and um, they've gone to buy a property and it's in a good suburb. And um, the agents originally listed the property on realestate.com.au in the sub one million bracket, but um, this property then had a price guide of one point one to one point two. So it was somehow they played around with the search of realestate.com.au, so the property was getting picked up under a million dollars. So someone was searching at nine fifty. That's how they saw mm-hmm. it, and then they went to auction, passed in, um, and they they offered one point two. And um, they said the agent wants the the seller wants one point four, wow. and um, <laughs> so the agent's like saying, "Well, hang on a sec. The seller wants one four. My client's willing to offer one two, maybe one two five if they get pushed." Um, and there's this huge gap between what the vendor wants and the buyer's willing to pay, and this agent's kind of in the middle here. Um, what do you think's happened there? Do you think that the yeah? What do you think? 
Oh, look, I don't know. Sometimes, um, you know, sometimes it's easy to blame the agent to say, oh, you know, that agent did something shifty or what have you, but you don't know what happened behind the scenes as well. Uh, I've had a client recently where it's a, it's a situation where it's a family property. It's been in the family for a long time. I'm dealing with a couple of siblings that, that, that own the property and one of them believes it's worth about 40% more than, than the market. And my job as the agent is obviously to try and bring the sellers and the buyers together. We've got under the, the new laws that were passed around providing estimated selling ranges and things like that, we're able to provide our clients with documented evidence that there's been a change in the estimated selling range. Um, so if, if I initially appraised the property at 2.7 to 2.8 based on you know, recent comparable sales at the time, the market shifted since then, the market's now at 2.4. Um, I've been able to say to the, the clients, we're changing the estimated selling range. I communicate that to buyers, it's an auction type sale. The buyers are at 2.4 and the owners at 2.8. Right. It's out, out of my control. And ultimately it's mm. worth 2.4 and it'll probably sell for 2.4. Um, you know, I haven't done anything shifty. I've been trying to do the right thing by the client. I've been trying to do the right thing by the buyers. But at the end of the day, where there's a lot of emotion behind the scenes and the owners have some reason where they've got an attachment to a property and they're just, there's an illogical pricing factor that comes into it sometimes. So... Yeah, I think what's happening. I don't know what happened in that case, though. That sounds really odd. Yeah, realestate.com is actually, there was an email from them this week saying that they're changing their guidelines and we can't uh, manipulate the search prices. That's any, good. Anymore. You can't I thought ha- that you- was done some time ago, to be honest. But, um, well, this is definitely, this is, this mm, is on the market now. I know yeah. this episode will come in, you know, in many months and this, this will probably, <laughs> hopefully they've got a we deal. We don't always release these the month they're recorded. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just really interesting. I mean, I guess there's a, the seller um, is, you know, hell-bent on getting one for and won't negotiate down at all. Can't even get them to negotiate. And um, you just wonder whether that's the market's just moved so much. The agent hasn't charged a marketing cost. Um, so they're only getting paid if they, you know, basically sell it. And oh, that sounds a little bit to me like someone who might have bought a listing. Exactly, yeah. 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 You see that a bit too where in a hot market you can get away with it. You know, if the prices are going to keep going up and it might just mean you need to work on it for a bit longer and the, the market will catch up to the vendor's expectations. But at the moment the gap's getting bigger, then, then you're in real trouble. Oh, look, when you're dealing with inexperienced agents or agents that aren't really high caliber, you are going to come across people that, that are out of depth. They don't know how to manage their owner and also they're desperate for listings so they'll take a listing on at any price and they'll just, okay, uh, and then they'll, you know, basically jump in the deep end and paddle like crazy trying to get into the shallow end. Um, so, it, you know, that may well have been the case. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you see. I mean, I guess in some areas there's less of those new uh, agents around or less of the, you've got to, I guess everyone's at a similar yeah. level. Yeah. yeah. But you know. One of the good, th- the good things that's come out of this change in the market as well is that the, the, the sellers are being a lot more, um, <laughs> they're, 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 they're a lot more, sele- the well, they're, they're a lot more selective <laughs> about the agents that they choose oh, right, because yeah. in, a, in a really hot market, you can mm. train a monkey to sell a house. Mm. You know, it's all about getting the listing because the house itself itself. So, um, now it really does come down to, having someone that's got the experience to be able to guide them through the process, who's got the confidence and negotiation abilities to be able to, to, to get the job done. And they're seeing, you know, some agents are still out there selling lots, lots of properties and others that have got just carrying stock, not selling. So 
You can see that um, with purple bricks, right? And the, uh, 100%. the, you know, the cheap and cheerful, you know, the property will sell itself. I don't need an agent, um, you know, $4,000. Um, you can see that you don't really see many of them, their signs around anymore. Not at all. Yeah. It's on that though. I, I was listening to a podcast. So I'm not going to say who it was. Um, and they were, you know, a fairly high profile person in the real estate industry. And they were talking about the purple bricks model and the idea of, paying up front and, and this person was denigrating that saying, and I was a bit surprised actually to hear this, that denigrating not so much the purple bricks themselves because I don't agree with low cost models and I don't agree with their model at all. However, the concept of somebody actually paying a real estate agent for advice because at the end of the day, one of the reasons I jumped the fence from being a sales agent to being a buyer's agent was that I'd actually prefer to be paid for my advice. Now, you guys are experts at the selling and marketing of a property, right? And so you often give a lot of advice out that never actually materialises into an actual um, transaction, right? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be good to be able to charge for that? And also how many people do sign up with an, un, you know, un, uh, the word? too high price expectations? Un Unrealistic? That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> Thank you. How many people do sign up with unrealistic price expectations? And you've put in a whole lot of work and effort and they're never going to sell at the end of the day because they won't listen to you. I mean, I think, isn't there a case that you should be able to charge for advice? Yeah, I think that there's potentially, that's different to a selling agent kind of role, but yeah, I think there is, there's maybe some sort of a service you could provide to potential clients where it's like an evaluation of a property. It's advice about how to present it for sale and how to maximise the price and all that stuff that just doesn't include the negotiation and the actual, you know, during the transaction mm. advice. But yeah, possibly there'd be like a, um, event, like a vendor's advocate kind of role, isn't it? Yeah, and, and yeah. there is. I mean, there is such a thing as vendor advocacy, but even then most – and actually, and I'm, it sounds really awkward here because we do offer this service in my business <laughs> in that regard. I'm, that's not why I've uh, led mm. this question. But, but we do charge for it, whereas most buyers agents that offer vendor advocacy take it as a, a cut from the sales commission. So once again, it's all predicated on actual sale before anybody gets any money. It's not actually – anyone paying for advice. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's, um, there, there potentially would be, but you'd have to be a pretty, a, a good agent wouldn't be just chasing rabbits. And if a vendor's <laughs> not just be offering them, you know, wants a stupid price, they don't believe they can get it. You know, a good agent enough runs on the boards, probably thinks, you know, this is not going to be worth my time. I'm not just going to be desperate and take it on. You know, a new agent that, you know, needs some, you know, some sales would probably take it on and hope that, you know, the world just aligns and they get the deal done. Um, it'd be pretty gutsy for a big agent to then start saying to sellers, look, I can only really evaluate your property and give you some advice. It's going to cost you two grand up front. And then, you know, the next agent comes in and says, I'll do that for free. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think in mortgage broking, there's some good brokers out there that, you know, have tried charging fees for pre-approvals and things like that. Um, and you just haven't got enough runs on the board with that client sometimes too, mm. for them to go, actually, you know what? I know you're amazing at what you do. I'm going to give you two grand now. Um, you know, knowing that, you know what I mean? It's just... I get, I get that, but isn't it... I think a conversation needs to be started around this because I do think that, that consumers complain about getting bad advice and yet they're getting advice for nothing and that advice is part of a sales pitch, isn't it? Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a tricky conversation really. I mean, I, I think as agents, I think we get paid really well. Um, you I do think, when you sell. <laughs> when we sell. And, and look, I'm fortunate that I sell everything I list mm. basically, you know, so I don't... I don't take on bad business. I generally attract good clients um, and 
with that. But yeah, there's there's plenty of agents out there that that are probably out there just trying to do as many appraisals and listing appointments as they can, and probably giving not great advice and listing lots of properties and maybe not selling all of them or what mm. have you. So yeah, I uh, think as well, like you're in a mm. very high prestigious suburb, and your average sale would be quite high compared to the average across Australia. But, you know, the problem with percentage fees just generally is it all comes down to the total value of your sales. And it's not about how many clients you've got. It depends on how much of the total. And same in broking, um, you know, so being a mortgage broker in Sydney, you know, I'm very fortunate. My average loan size is probably triple the size of most brokers. Um, and so I get paid triple what most brokers get paid mm. per client. Um, but if I was a mortgage broker, as you know, a good mate of mine's in Orange, um, you know, his loan size, you know, it's pretty much exactly the same work within reason, mm. um, but his loan, the way he gets paid is much lower. And I think an agent, very similar, right? Like if yeah. you're an agent and you're selling property in Port Macquarie versus in Balmain, mm. um, you can see why, you know, the person in Port Macquarie needs to be even more conscious that they're, you know, making sure that they're getting paid for every client, you know, yeah. I guess that's the hard part. It's easy for you to kind of go, I don't need that $2,000 because I'm getting paid very well. And uh, I feel the same way. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and our our fees have just about doubled in the last six years. You know, right, you, you, your your, your yeah. loan size and the property values and what have you. So, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> anyway, it's just this is. Uh, I think that as you know, certainly as uh, real estate agents pursue this pathway to, to professionalism, um, it's going to be interesting just to see how that space unfolds, and certainly post Royal Commission as well with brokers. You know, I was uh, hearing yesterday, I think it was Commonwealth Bank, who decided they're really not going to deal with you know, small brokerages anymore. That's what I've heard. So, so you know, it could be that there's a whole shift in terms of um, certainly in the mortgage broking space. Yeah, it's really interesting. So I was on um, Sky last week talking about this. Um, and so part of the Royal Commission is you've got, uh, you know, things that have been highlighted where mis-selling of products, not by the banks, by brokers, by financial advisors. And um, a lot of that, you know, the reason what they're saying is it's because they're incentivized to sell products and they get paid a percentage of what they sell. In the mortgage broking world, it's a little bit different to financial advice because, you know, financial advice has just been problems through the whole system because it's just too conflicted. You know, where someone's licensed, the, the way they get paid, all their recommendations are pushing people to investment products that they can charge assets under management fees to. And you can really manipulate oversell insurance. Like there's so many ways that financial advisors have been able to, you know, make more money by giving poor advice. And so in mortgage broking, it's very hard to do that within reason because, um, you know, you can't put someone in $2 million of debt um, you know, if they haven't got the deposit or they don't want to buy this property. So you can't kind of give them too much you know, more loans. And all the, in, the commissions are very similar to all the banks. And from a consumer point of view, they've actually got really good experiences with brokers. You know, their broker volumes percentage is rising every year. More and more people are using brokers. Um, and so they haven't, you know, the broker one hasn't really got a consumer problem, but there is maybe some co conflicts, you know, that are, hap that are getting changed. The, the CBA stories, um, has been quite, you know, they've consistently over the last few years wanting to stop working with brokers. And so they've, they've brought in new accreditation. If you're not a broker for two years, you can't write lending with us. Um, you know, there's all these small things. If you are not writing much business with us, you've got a really long time to get your file assessed. It could be like eight or nine days. So you're just not going to write loans with CBA. And so what CBA are trying to do behind the scenes is basically get rid of brokers. Because if they get rid of brokers, it stops brokers funneling clients to their biggest competitors, which is ING and Macquarie. 
basically. And, you know, you've got 15,000 brokers out there that are no longer using CBA and they're all just sending their business to other, their competitors. And so the way CBA are going to do, they've got the biggest branch network. So what CBA want to do is basically get rid of brokers by moving them to a flat fee and then that will kill the industry. And then if there's less brokers, the more people go to branches and then CBA will get more business. So, you know, that's kind of what they're trying to do. Um, and, you know, and that's why they came up in the Royal Commission and, and pushed for flat fees. It's not something that consumers are really out there batting for. It's really the banks um, who are kind of wanting to kill brokers. Mm, well, there you go. Think, that's yeah. a conspiracy theory. <laughs> do well, you think the other the big four, the other three, other three of the big four are behind in the wings doing preparing to do the same thing? Or is it uh, just CBA? No, it's really just CBA. Mm. Um, you know, the ANZ have come out and said they support brokers, Westpac have, um, and all the little small lenders are. So it's just CBA. And the other reason why Matt kind of came out and said it is he wanted deflected all the, you know, focus from him and what things CBA have done wrong to brokers. what a broker's done wrong. So all the AFR and all the other papers mm. the next day were brokers earn $2.5 million a year. Um, you know, thousands of brokers more than one million dollars a year, they should go to flat fees. We were going to do it in February. Well, you were going to do it, but you didn't actually do it. Uh, and so they created all these stories that then the, the media took off on. Um, and then all the things that CBA did wrong just got forgotten about. And so it was a... It's, it's a, a deflection strategy. Mm, yeah, it was. And, you know, um, and so there will be reform in broking on a big level um, and all the little conflicts and all the things that, you know, brokers can do to manipulate the system. Um, and banks can manipulate the system, will get highlighted and hopefully get shut down. But you know, I think that's what was kind of trying to happen on last week. Actually, on that, Peter, the buyers that you deal with, you know, what percentage would you think are dealing with brokers? I, I would think probably 80% of buyers. You know, the buyers that I'd be working with would be dealing with brokers rather than direct with banks. Um, mm. I always think that someone will do better through a broker for whatever reason. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Mm. I, I've actually... Yeah, we'd be ninety five percent of our clients even would be would mm. use brokers rather than directly with banks, and we've even had some situations where a client's been a long standing uh, client of a particular bank, and then the brokers actually managed to get a better deal through their very own bank than they were able to get themselves through their relationship manager. <laughs> so that's interesting in itself. Yeah, that's so. That's another problem with CBA recently. Um, and uh, so CBA have been giving better pricing through their branch network uh, than they would offer through brokers. And so branches have been competing with brokers and the branches have been calling kind of clients of you know, brokers and, and things like that. And so there's this, there's been this power shift where, you know, from the outside in, you know, the CBA don't really want to work with brokers and, you know, there's been this kind of push. Yes, that's kind of what's been happening. And it's not just CBA. There's, you know, there's this kind of power struggle going on because at the end of the day, CBA have to pay hundreds of millions of dollars of commissions to brokers mm. in upfront fees and ongoing revenue. But, you know, at the end of the day, banks want to make more profits. Uh, and in a, in a world of low credit growth, you know, which we're going to be going into with the Royal Commission, the, the, the tap that keeps funneling higher bank profits is growing credit. And if you say to that with the Royal Commission, you can no longer keep growing your credit your mortgages like you were, you no longer profits aren't going to be as big. So um, that's that's kind of what's happening. And the shareholders start. So Peter, dealing with buyers um, who obviously are finding getting money harder, what processes are you going through in terms of your qualification processes with buyers to find out whether they A, are finance and B, really are finance? Because I imagine some people still think that they're going to get money quite easily and 
might be a little harder. Yeah, I think there's what seems to happen a lot is that a buyer will start a conversation with a broker or with a bank and they'll be given really like quite a positive sort of, yeah, yeah, she'll be right, mate, no problems at all. Probably be a couple of weeks and we sh- think we'd be able to lend you a million dollars, say, if it's a professional couple, whatever it might be. Uh, you know, and that sort of couple of weeks is turning into a couple of months, really, and the million dollars is turning into 700000 um, Yeah. And so we're, we're, as agents, we need to kind of qualify them without going into nitty-gritty and obviously without bursting their bubble as well. But, you know, we always talk about, it, you know, if you've bid on other properties, if you've made unconditional offers on other properties, so that's a good way of knowing if you've actually got capacity to buy and then just talk to them about where they're up to with their finances and, you know, if they have got somebody looking after them, um, if they've got that sort of formal you know, approvals in place and what have you, so... Because I know that, like, in terms of you and the advice that then you feed back to your owner, you've got to sort of somehow give your owner a, a sense of confidence in, in each individual buyer that may or may not be interested in their property, right? Mm. So, and that's, do you find that there are buyers out there that are looking, that think that they're going to be financed and then? Oh, yeah. Aren't? I'd say there's probably eight out of 10 buyers that are out there in the market at the moment aren't really buyers mm. because they haven't got the money. Right? Yeah. They've, they've been told that, yeah. You know, probably by the end of the week we should have something, or you know, the you know people are saying in a couple of weeks, but you know they're disappearing. You know, we they stop taking calls. You know, these buyers that that think that they're going to be able to get the money haven't been able to, or the banks keep coming back to them and asking for more documentation. And that's common, yeah. yeah. So the, the process shuts down sometimes. The the back and forth, um, and sometimes that they just lose interest, and you know sometimes. You know, life takes over and and it's all getting too hard. And then they're reading the press and it's Mm. like, well, actually, you know what? I can't get finance. Or they don't even go to a broker. They go to the bank and then they get a bad outcome and then they don't even go to shop the market. And so there's all these things that are just kind of compounding behind it where you're right, they're just not getting finance approval. Um, Yeah. You know, and and they're they're reading that the market's going backwards and it's going to be, you know, that it's going to come down another 30% in the next 12 months. There's no motivation there either. Mm. Particularly if they're yeah. if they're comfortable renting some if they if they you know got a growing family and they're looking to upsize or something like that then that's different but mm. in our area we deal with a lot of young professional couples probably in their sort of thirties that are renting on, both on really high incomes who traditionally have been able to go to the banks and borrow whatever they wanted to borrow yeah and they're paying the one and a half million to to buy an entry level three bedroom terrace yeah in Balmain mm. and they've you know they just can't get more so yeah. they've they've gone so. Are you still taking buying share of property to auction under these conditions or are you changing the way you're marketing them? Uh, look, we're, the auction uh, environment's definitely changed a lot. Uh, I still feel as though the auction process is a good way of bringing you know, the buyers and sellers together and giving you a bit more control over timing. Uh, we're, we're selling you know, a lot more property via private treaty than we were 18 months ago. Uh, but even if... Um, quite often you'll see an auction might pass in, but it'll sell later in that afternoon or it'll sell the following week to a buyer that was flushed out by the auction process. And you know, particularly if you've got – I had a property in Roselle we sold two weeks ago and the owners wanted to sell it before the auction. The buyer was kind of umming and ahhing about buying it before the auction, but he just wouldn't commit. You know, you just couldn't get him to actually make mm. the decision you to commit. You would have loved to have got him over the line before auction. You know, you? and we, <laughs> we, did, we did our best to, yeah. to, to get him to buy it before auction. And the owners were saying, well, you know, we can't have the auction if we've only got one buyer. I said, well, no, we can. We just mm. need to look at it really simply. Simply yeah. that if it brings the buyer and the seller together on the same same day in the same place, then, right, uh, yeah. then, mm. then we'll get a deal done. And we sold it and we got a really good outcome. But 
you know, we sort of needed that auction process to put, you know, put them there in a yeah. position where they could buy unconditionally, and they had to make a decision Give on the day. Date. Yeah, That's it. Mm. urgency, so, right? Like if there wasn't urgency, that yeah. day, like it was just, oh yeah, think about it. Life takes over, yeah. and then you, you know, there's just no real pressure. But if there's a Saturday auction, at least there's a, you know, a due date where you know, a due decision date, yeah. has to be made. Um, from an agent's point of view, I know Balmain doesn't struggle with this, but you know, what's your thoughts on kind of off the plan, kind of newer properties and apartments and you know, what if you were buying one, would you ever buy an off the plan apartment? I I, I don't think I would. Uh I I have absolutely zero I I shouldn't say that. I've sold I sold one um one little block of townhouses off the plan a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um but aside from that I've never had anything to do with off the plan sales. Mm-hmm. I've always sort of felt that, you know, there's a lot of marketing, a lot of spin, a lot of hype that goes into those off the plan sales. I think they're a really dangerous dangerous product for for purchases. You know, there's some really slick sales tactics. Um, I, f- I was contacted by a client this week who's got a who's settling on two apartments in Balmain that were bought off the plan, and he said, you know, they're, they're investment properties. We're going to be renting them out, and the developer gave us a rental appraisal of twelve hundred and twelve hundred to thirteen hundred dollars a week. So you know, we should be able to get that. In reality, they'll rent for about eight fifty a week. And they relied on the developers. Rental appraisal. I mean, seriously, people, you've got to take responsibility for your decisions. I mean, the developer is trying to sell you something. Oh, my God. Okay. So that's yeah. a big, are they, you know, that's, that's going to whack their, their cash flow. Well, that blows the model out of the water, right? Yeah. So, um, can they settle? I mean, yeah, I'm sure, as I'm in, sure as in yeah. what about the settlement valuations? Uh, I haven't got, into, haven't got into that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I love how they bought two. Yeah, why not? Yeah, because you just buy yeah. two. It's about diversification. And, and I yeah. love how they call themselves investors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so from an agent's point of view, you know, I guess if you're helping buyers, what is, if you were investing in the market, what are sort of the things that you, know, you think the buyer should really put a high priority on and things maybe not so much? I think, I think it's, you know, fundamentally about supply and demand. I wouldn't buy in an area where there's a lot of, you know, cranes in the skies and lots of, you know, new apartments being built. Mm-hmm. Um you jump onto realestate.com and you look for a two-bedroom apartment in Ride, for example, there might be 150 of them that you could buy at the moment. They might mm. look cheap, but, yeah. you know, there's a real supply-demand problem there. Whereas, 800 for rent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 800 available for 800 rent, not, available. not, get, not yeah. getting 800 a week for rent. <laughs> Yo, and that's, that's one of the things, right? 800. Well, if you search in Epping or Ride oh or Waterloo or Mascot. these areas um, – you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of for rent, and mm. um, you know, and they're all like they all you know, see the ones trying to price eight hundred dollars a week, and then there's one at seven fifty that's better than the eight hundred dollars a week, and you just look at it and you think, God, I would not want to be owning a property here and trying to rent it out right now because, you know, how do you find someone to rent it when, you know, even if it is beautiful? Yeah, I mean? yeah. So look, I, I think you know, I've always just really liked good, you know, solid three floor walk ups, no lifts, brick buildings built in the sixties and seventies. In suburbs where there's not a lot of not a lot of development, you're close mm. to the CBD. You've got good amenity, um, parking, outdoor space. It's all the fundamentals. If it's something that you would want to live in yourself, yeah. um, and you work out what your your target renter is, um, you know, if it's an area where there's a lot of young professional yeah. people that are singles that are living there, then you know you want to buy a property that's going to appeal to them. And do you think it's a good time to be trying to buy grade A suburbs like Balmain, um, but be buying? you know, grade C or grade D property, I guess, that, you know, maybe it's not on the best road or maybe it's not the best layout or maybe it's, 
you know, not the biggest block, but, you know, it still suits families or something like that if you can get it at a really good price right now? Or do you do you think that you still wouldn't buy that type of property? I think you still – I think if it's fundamentally not a great property, then then price, you know, it's going to come around to you when you go to sell it as well. You, you, you're going to be impacted on price when, when you go to sell it mm. at the same time. So I would probably prefer to buy, um, you know, a, a better quality property in an area where, where you can afford rather than trying to buy the, the worst house in the best suburb. Yeah, it's interesting because that's naturally what people are thinking about mm. now, right? Because in a lot of your premium suburbs, a lot of the C and D properties aren't performing very well and they're losing value a lot more. And a lot of investors are saying, well, I can buy in Balmain for 1-1, but it's not a great property, but I'm still in Balmain. And I guess the challenge is there is, yes, get it at a cheap price. You might still get a good rent, but it always comes back when you want to sell it. Every week we hear incredible stories of the dumb things property buyers do. Dumb things that end up costing you a whole lot of money and or creating a whole lot of stress. Mistakes that can be avoided. Please, Peter, can you give us an example of a property dumbo? We can all learn what not to do from these stories. We see buyers doing dumb things all the time. Um, I think, you know, one of the, and I asked my team this morning, I said, guys, you know, what do you think is the dumbest thing that we ever see, see buyers do? And um, and one of my guys said, oh, he said, well, what about the buyer? And and the buyer's not just a buyer, it's a type of buyer that uh, is usually a middle-aged man with a much younger girlfriend that arrives at a property um, and they come through, they've probably got a sports car and he sort of puffs his chest up and walks around and says, oh, you know, send me a contract on this one and buy it as an investment, that type of thing. And he's just trying to puff his chest up in front of his in front of his date and then usually <laughs> as, he's, as they're leaving, they'll say, oh, I'll be making an offer on this one on Monday. And guarantee you never hear from them again. But it probably happens once every once every couple of months. You come across this type of buyer. Wow, um, that's so but, embarrassing. But, but, it, <laughs> but it's, it's embarrassing for them. But it's great for us because quite often what will happen is there'll be a real buyer in the room, <laughs> and and the real buyer won't recognise the the alpha male puffing his chest up and what have you. So um, they'll come up and say, "Oh, listen, uh, you know, I think that guy's going to make an offer, isn't he?" And you say, "Well, well that's what he said." <laughs> uh, <laughs> So quite often, you know, he'll create some urgency around, around, around the sale with some real buyers, but it's just uh, it's just being a peacock. Well, it sounds oh, like you should it. hire him. Yeah. yeah. He should right. just be um, – I know there's a real estate agent who's done something quite similar to that, um, but maybe not with men. the equivalent of dummy bidders? Yeah. It's, it's um, the dummy buyer. The dummy buyer. Yeah, I mean, it was in the papers this week about some women that were getting, you know, stupidly, you know, some crazy marketing tactic. I'm not sure you saw that. Oh, some swimsuit models or something for a um, – yeah, yeah for I didn't a, actually for read the article. Shoot. I just read yeah. the headline, but yeah, it was some agents use swimsuit models or something to sell property, and I was just like, I just looked, saw the headlines like that. Oh, this is ridiculous. Don't they yeah. realise that the women <laughs> make so many of the decisions? Do you remember years ago, Peter? This was um, do you remember Elizabeth Shields? So she was an agent in Newtown. I can't remember the name of the agency, but she did this campaign. It was called Real Estate with a Happy Ending. I kid you not. <laughs> there was a billboard up on uh, Parramatta Road in Camperdown and she was there in a negligee holding a gavel and that was the headline on the billboard, Real Estate with a Happy Ending. And there was another one up on the, uh, the, the bridge thing there in Roselle. There was another one. It was, like, hilarious. And we just kept laughing, apart from the fact that there's a high 
you know, there's a lot of big gay big gay population in Newtown, you know. <laughs> so the lesbians aren't going to go for it because seriously, she's just <laughs> not my type. Um, you know, men aren't going to go, or gay men definitely aren't going to go for it. And and basically no hetero man is going to be allowed to go for it because the wife's going to say, you are not going anywhere near that woman. But, you know, you think it misses out on every single, uh, on every single, um, uh, yeah. you, know, you know, every single demographic. <laughs> just hilarious. Yeah. Oh, I mean, there you go. What? So he's just shopping for the sake of it. To oh, he just yeah, yeah, yeah. He just you know he's just trying to impress his date. He said, "Oh, listen, I'm just going to go look at a couple of properties." Yeah, oh, uh, yeah, pretty embarrassing. But, but do you find uh, that also with like young kind of couples and that are out there shopping and you know they're really just doing it because they are kind of conf- thinking that they want to buy something and they're kind of window shopping three years before they're even ready and you know just going through the process just. A waste of time on a Saturday. Do you see them around a lot? Yeah, look, we do. Usually, usually they get really dressed up as well um, yeah. <laughs> to, to, to go and look at houses. So yeah, it's, it's funny. We see all sorts, um, and with the experience, you get to be able to pick them pretty quickly. Mm. But I've got a yeah. client who just missed out on a property. She called me. She was devastated. Um, she wasn't pre-approved. She's an ex-client. She's going to buy another property, and um, so she was it was in Edgecliff. And, uh, you know, she called me and says, oh, you know, I've just been, I was told, I asked for a contract from the agent and the agent didn't think she was serious. So, and she goes, oh, no, I rocked up. I'd just been in the Edgecliff shopping center, had shopping, had my dog. I tied my dog up, left my shopping outside, went in this property and asked for a contract. And the agent thought she was a waste of time and led her to know that she's not a waste of time. She could afford the property and she would have bought the property. And um, so I guess, you know, you should never really assume sometimes as well, that, agents. Well, yeah, that's, that's the other thing. I mean, we, particularly in Balmain, you get, a lot, you get a, lot of, um, a lot of people that don't like to show off their, their wealth and it's, it's a really sort of, you know, down-to-earth kind of demographic really. And mm. uh, we sold some really big properties to people who, if you, you look at them, they just look like, you know, your average punter on mm. the street. But Yeah, yeah that's it. You wouldn't it. know. Yeah. And then you think, oh, so I guess when you – the tactics and different nationalities and things like that. I guess you know you sometimes you actually people assume that someone's going to act a certain way and you know, they don't. I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that was that was it. That was this, the the other kind of Dumbo is that is the buyer who comes in and just tries to just down talk the property as loud as they can and you know they're picking. Oh, does the owner know about the crack in the wall and does the owner know that it needs renovation and does the owner know how much it's going to cost and really all they're doing is telling us that they're really interested. Yeah. You know, yeah, and every other buyer too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like what? Yeah, else? or they've just got nothing else to do on a Saturday, and they just like to be a bit of a pain. You know, I think that they, they rock around, don't they? And they just yeah. you know, serial offenders, probably. I see. You're getting many buyers being cocky that they're selling. Nah, 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 nah. Market's gone down. You're finding it hard to sell. Oh yeah, yeah. There are there's 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 buyers that have just read read a lot of headlines about mm. prices going down, and they're you know they're saying you know. So it's a property you're hoping, hopeful of. Initially, you might have expect, expected kind of mid threes, and it might really be three point two or three point three. Uh, they're coming in and saying, "Well, you know, it's going to be around three million, You know, and they're sort of they're sort of trying to factor in the the twenty percent that hasn't happened yet mm. into into mm-hmm. where their pricing is. Um, or they say, "You know, why does the owner, you know the owner wants a settlement in three months' time, but it'll be worth you know a couple hundred thousand dollars less by then, or you know whatever it might be." So I love all these you know, crystal ball holders. Yeah, yeah, you know, but fundamentally, you know, the, the house might suit them really well. Mm. Uh, it could be a great property that's going to do really well long term, but they'll still uh, talk themselves out of it, or they'll just be completely unrealistic about the way to approach it. Yeah, and if they make a low ball offer at the moment, you know, 
because they're trying to factor in a future drop and they're just hoping that they have to sell. You know, you're finding many properties that are going through it, you know, because there literally is that one has to sell and there's only one buyer. And if this is going to happen, they're only going to offer a certain price. You know, that's happened to a client last week for me, you know, or three weeks ago now, but you know, they got a property that was, uh, it was meant to be selling for two, they, they one, 2.2 for it. It was in Maroubra and it went to auction, passed in, they put it for sale for two mil and they ended up getting it for 1.85 because it was a, Edge care, to be sold. Yeah. And yeah. so are you finding that's happening at all or? Yeah, look, at, look, it is. I think, um, yeah, we, look, we are. We're definitely seeing, and I think, you know, buyers need, need to recognise that they've got to be there. If, mm. if, if they want to buy a property, they can't call you on Monday and say, oh, geez, I would have paid more, more for that. You know, I can't believe it only sold for a million dollars. Like, if you're not there, you're not there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think you know money talks, and if if you if you're cashed up and you've got the capacity to buy, then you need to make yourself um, you put yourself in the game and be attend auctions and you know be involved in negotiation processes with with properties. But at the same time, got an apartment at the moment where the owner's paid just under one point five for. It's a great, really good property. It's an A grade apartment in Balmain. They We'll sell it for one point four. So they've acknowledged that the market's come back from where, where they bought it from. When did they buy that? Uh, about eighteen months ago. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, At the peak, bang on the peak. Bang on the peak. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Buyers come in and said, "I oh, will give you one point two. You know. So all all that's done is just get the owner right offside. You know. Yeah. You upset yeah. them from the start. There's not a happy dialogue. It's not a proper negotiation. Never going to get off the ground. You know. Yeah. Whereas if they'd come in and said, "Look, you know, okay, you know, yeah." Aiming for one point four, you know, you know, we're probably there somewhere in the mid one point threes. You know, what do you think we should be? How do you think we should go about it? Then mm. I try and work with them, try and get the deal done. That's right. You, they need you, right, buyers? Yeah, <laughs> they can't go directly to the vendor and That's say, right. yeah. um, you know, can you make a deal? You know, so if you're not on side with them, you know, and you're not going to really, you've got a good working relationship with your buyer. How are you going to possibly get a deal done? Yeah, I think a lot of buyers don't realise as well that ultimately. If you're an experienced selling agent and your client's got a lot of faith in you, then then quite often while the while the vendor will give us instructions as to if they'll sell it or not, it'll be based on our advice. Yeah. You know, yep. so so we're the ones who basically need to make the decision about mm-hmm. yes, it's a green light to sell it or not. Um mm-hmm. you know, so that's what I think that's what a lot of people don't realise that the agent has a lot more control over what the owners will or won't accept because that's part of our our advice piece. Have you ever not sold to someone that you didn't like? You know, like if a buyer was just a Right twat that you thought I'm not actually <laughs> going to help you, and you know you. No, can't... We'd, we'd normally just give them a bit of a fine. The... <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So there's the message for buyers there that yeah. you know it, it's no point trying to outsmart the agent. At the end of the day, the agent is the one with more information than you are, and and they also are in that you know, if they are experienced and accomplished agent, they are in a trusted advisor. Uh, relationship with their vendor and that vendor is going to ask for their guidance in terms of whether they should or shouldn't entertain your offer. And so if you're going to play silly buggers and really try to get the agent offside because you think that you've got the upper hand, it, even in a buyer's market, it doesn't always play out in your favour. And I love it. That's your, you find them. And and I've seen it happen, <laughs> can I tell you, where someone, and the, actually the, on the flip side of this, this podcast is not meant to be a sales pitch, but I honestly, honestly, buyers need a buyer's agent more in a buyer's market. 
than they do in a seller's market in many ways. And that is because there is a lot of money left on the table in a buyer's market, much more than I, th- I think than in a seller's market with buyers because you don't have competition. So the only competition is really your own mind. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that for sure. All right. I think we better wrap it up. Thank you so much, Peter. Been a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Peter. Cheers. Thank no you. No trouble. We've covered a bit of ground. I hope you've enjoyed it. It's been good. We want to make you a better elephant rider, and this week's elephant rider training is all about timing when you buy a property. We get asked about this a lot, obviously, with a falling market, and I'll use rabbit ears around the word falling because it isn't falling across the board and certainly not falling with all property. But the question is always, you know, when should I buy? When's the best time to buy? And the answer is a little bit more nuanced than you might think. I think one thing that buyers need to understand around um, A, B, C, D grade properties is that that when you buy an A grade doesn't really matter so much, you know, because they pretty much hold their own in these sort of market conditions and they're never going to really fall, you know, so you buy it when you're ready to buy a property. If you want to ride away, if you actually want to try to, to work the market to your advantage, and this is where you get into speculation, not investment, um, then, yeah, there are potential is of a case to say, right, well, I'm going to buy a, a B, C grade property now when they really have fallen considerably. And then I need to pick the market conditions at which point to sell that thing. You know, when, when the market's at its peak, I'll flog it and then I'm going to make the maximum gain. However, even the experts can't predict the bottom of the market and the top of the market. You miss it and that whole theory goes out the window. So, you know, and this is the thing that like, you know, yes, I've sold a couple of properties over the years and I, I could dine out on when I when I sold them, you know, and, and same with buying them. One one of my investments in particular I bought in October 2012. I'm oh, loving that one. I got every single piece of that of that boom and I didn't get I got one month of the flat period beforehand, you know, like so I could I could have a whole career based on that. But the reality is there's been times when it's not been the right time market-wise for me to sell property, but I have sold for other reasons and vice versa with buying. The point being that experts can't exactly pick the bottom and the only way you'll know the bottom is when it starts growing. That's when you know you hit the bottom and it's in in the rear vision mirror. And the same with the peak. When the market starts falling, you know you've reached the peak and it's in the rear vision mirror. So trying to do that, trying to outsmart the market, yeah, do it for all, by all means, but realise the risk you're taking and realise that you are speculating, not investing. But when you're buying A grade, it doesn't matter when you buy, just buy it when you're ready. Tune in next week when we interview a Brisbane agent. Charles Wiggard is an agent who is a local expert in Brisbane's eastern suburbs. We talk about the impact of flooding on the market in general and also the extra due diligence that you need to do if you're buying a property in an area that might flood or along the river. We also talk about what happens when you're not allowed to give a price guide on an auction campaign property how they handle pre-auction offers, and also tips for building in pest inspections. Don't forget we're on all the social channels. We're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter. Or you can connect with us on theelephantintheroom.com.au. The links are all there for you. Please connect and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. The Elephant in the Room property podcast is recorded at the Sydney Sound Brewery. This week's podcast was recorded by John Resk, editorial by Gordy Fletcher. Until next week, don't be a dumbo.
Now remember, everything we talked about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent who will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances with a statement of advice.